You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, good morning. Hey, uh, we're going old school. Handheld microphone today. That way I get to drop the mic like a rapper. At the end of the message, word. Hey, uh, today is a, an exciting day because we get to start a new series today. And um, to me, I get, I get excited about that because I just love God's word. And um, just before we get started, let's, uh, let's give a thanks for the Harris family one more time. Amen. We love them. And I want you guys to know, some of you guys, you know, are trying to figure out what we're going to be doing next for worship. And, and uh, you know, we, we have a, a great team of people that are going to, you know, take over the worship for a season until we figure out what God has for us. And so we're not worried about worship. It's going to be fantastic. It'll be here next week. Some of our band will be out of town. Don't be alarmed. All right. They're not leaving with Chris. Um, as far as I know, I'm just kidding. Uh, they're not. So, uh, but they will be out of town. We're going to have some worship next week. It's going to be great. So be back next week. All right. Today we begin a series that's really begins with a long, exhausted walk in the heat of the desert. Now, how many of you guys ever had a, had a, had a long walk in the heat of Texas summer before? You know, the, the Texas heat is unlike any other place because it's not just hot. It's like dripping humid hot. And, uh, you know, there's, there's this picture that we get right at the beginning of this story that we're going to look at. It's, it's a walk, a long, hot walk through the heat of the desert looking for a new life, leaving everything they know, walking towards something they don't know. We're going to be talking for the next few weeks about the book of Ruth. Now, there's two books in the entire Bible that carry women's names, Ruth and the book of Esther. They're like the chick flicks of the Bible, all right? And uh, now some of you guys are, that's, that's you know, some of you guys are like, well, I'm checking out because, no, this is, this is a good chick flick. This is like a comedy romance, right? They're like, it's funny, it's action, and uh, there's a twist and turns, there's tragedy. Uh, don't miss out. This is more than a book about the friendships of women. This is a book about trials, about pain, about tragedy. It's a book about loyalty. It's a, it's a book about change. It's about new beginnings. It's about love. It's about loyalty. It's a book of hope and redemption. It is a, it is a book that is written for men and women. So it's not one of those little books in the Bible that men should skip. It is a dynamic, exciting, small four chapter book, four chapters, four weeks today, part one, act one, Ruth chapter one, verse one. Let's begin right there. It says in the days when the judges ruled the earth, there was a famine in the land. Now, this immediately goes off telling you when this was happening. Actually, there's a, there's a literal date when this was happening. It was roughly 1350 BC. And it was during the time of the judges. In fact, it was days of judges, it says. That means it was a time after Israel had left Egypt, entered into the promised land, but before the time of kings. 
And there was this little window after they moved into the land where they had no kings. And what they had was a series of judges that rose up to kind of get them back on track. And then they kind of drifted away. And then they would have this constant cycle of sin and recovery, sin and recovery, sin and recovery. And the book of Judges, which is in the Old Testament, is the book just before Ruth. And Ruth happened smack dab in the middle of the book of Judges. It was a time when there was no kings. It was a time when there was economic downturn. It was a time of, of, uh, of financial tough times. In fact, Judges 21 gives us, uh, sums up the entire time of the Judges. Check this out. Judges 21, 25 says this. It says, in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. That was pretty much the days of Judges. There was no king. God was to be their king, but they were terrible at following God as their king. So they were constantly cycling into trouble, and God would raise up a judge. The word judge there is the word savior to save them. Now, that's a commentary on the entire book of Judges right there. It was a cycle of struggle. Now, this was the time period of the book of Ruth. Smack dab in the middle of Judges. During the time of Judges, this story of Ruth takes place. And let's take a look at that. Ruth 1, 1. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So there was a time of famine, so they left the land. The man's name was Elimelech. Now, his name means God is king, and I love that. His, the word El is God, and uh, Imelech is, is uh, king. So he's El Limelech, which means he's from a family that actually walked with God. But yet, something strange is happening here. He's leaving a place where God said to go to, to a place that is not even on the map of where God is sending them. He says this in uh, verse 2, it says, The man's name was Imelech. His wife's name was Naomi. By the way, the way uh, the name Naomi means pleasant. That's going to be important later on. And the names of his two sons are Malan and Killan, which sounds like right out of Star Trek. But it's kind of interesting because Malan means sick, and and the other name Killan means uh, tired. So his kids were sick and tired. <laughs> that is that is the truth. So he took his sons sick and tired. They were from the Ephrates. Uh, they were from that certain tribe, and they lived in Bethlehem and Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there, a family of four, moved away. Okay? Days turned into years, 10 years in total. So, so here's the background check so far. Take a look at this map. You're going to see Bethlehem is uh, over here, kind of where Judah is. See, right above Judah, you see Jerusalem and then Bethlehem. And then they went to the land of Moab. So they were leaving the place that was the promised land for them, and they were going to a place called Moab. Uh, Moab, and it was a time of famine. There was a, they were running out of food. It, ironically, the city they lived in, Bethlehem, means city of bread, and in the city of bread, there was no bread. So they went looking for bread. No kings, a time of total lawlessness, a time of famine. And Imelech, his wife, Naomi, they marry. They have two kids, this family of four. A job opportunity opens up 
in uh, Moab. So they moved from God's promise to a place without God's promise. They went to Bethlehem, the land of promise, to Moab, the land of enemies. You got to realize Moab was not a friendly place for Jewish people. For people who are Israelites, Moab was the land of enemies. In fact, it was the place where they were told not to settle, not to go. And the people of Moab hated the Israelites so much that when they simply wanted to walk through their land, the Moabites said, no way. Well, as they began to work their way around Moab, Moab came behind them and began to kill off their disabled, their pregnant, and the children as they were entering into the promised land. So Israel hated Moab, and the Moabites were just, you know, sick in the muds, and they hated and they did violent things during Israel. So here's this guy, Emelech, a guy raised in a family of faith. He leaves the land of promise to the land of his enemies because of an opportunity, because it seemed like God's promise had run out. God says, don't go. Emelech says, let's go. It was a life-changing decision. Today's message is about decisions that change your life forever, landmark decisions. So here's where the story picks up. Immediately it goes into uh, two weddings and a funeral and two more funerals. So here we go. Verse 3 says, now Emelech, Naomi's husband, died while they were in Moab. And she was left with her two sons, sick and tired. She's a single mom now, and they decided to stay in Moab. They married a Moabite woman, uh, both sick and tired. Both these guys, Melon and Kilon, uh, married Moabite women, not from, uh, they weren't Jewish women. They weren't from a Jewish family. They were actually from pagan families. So they married women that were not followers of Yahweh. And one's name was Orpah, not Oprah. I know it sounds like Oprah, but it's, it's Orpah. And by the way, that was a, a typo on uh, Oprah's um, birth certificate. She was actually supposed to be named Orpah. A little, little trivia there for you. Um, and her name, Orpah, means graceful. So uh, sick married graceful and uh, tired married Ruth. It says in the other married Ruth. And Ruth is a beautiful name. Uh, it means beautiful. It means beautiful companion, someone who is with you who is beautiful. So you have beautiful companion and graceful marrying sick and tired. Well, sounds like your family, doesn't it? Uh, and they lived in Moab for 10 years. Both now, it says in verse 5, now Malon and Kilon also died, and now Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So now she's alone and she's poor. Man, this story jumps straight into the backdrop for this story. Okay. You've got this amazing story already played out. A mother who buries her sons, wives staring at their husband's graves, broken dreams, heartache, questions, confusion. And because of her husband's choice to leave the land of promise, she's now living in a foreign land with no inheritance, with no family, widowed and childless, a 10-year nightmare, and the two daughters, now you notice they didn't have any children, so these are two, three widows, and two of them newly married, no children. Now you got to understand that in this culture, the... It was a matriarchal culture. That means the, the men kind of drove the economic culture. And that meant that in their time, 
women could not own property, only men could own property. So that means any possession that they had had to go back to the family, the male family's family. Okay, so that meant if they had anything in Moab, it went straight back to uh, to their families. Now, here's the deal. They didn't live in Moab. All their land, all their property, all their possessions were basically lost in Moab because widows have no rights to anything. So they lost all their possessions. They were left destitute. They had nothing. Their future was bleak. And that's how Ruth begins. Ruth sets up the story that is filled with total devastation. And in many ways, we find that this book called Ruth is as much about Naomi as it is Ruth. Because it begins with Naomi, and we're going to find in a couple of weeks that it ends with Naomi. And Ruth just happens to be the glue that sandwiches those chapters in her story. So now, let's see what happens. In verse 8, it's time to go back. So... Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, they said, go back, she says, each of you, to your mother's home, because I have nothing for you. There's, there's nothing at all here for you. Uh, may the Lord show you kindness if you, as you've shown sh- uh, kindness to your dead husbands, that's my sons, and, and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you find rest in the home of another husband. Remarry and live a long, happy life. And then she kissed them goodbye. And they wept aloud, and they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. Now, you got to realize, she, they had been married and, uh, to her sons, and they'd been together for about 10 years, um, uh, at the max 10 years. And, and now she's got to say, it's time to leave. It's time to go back. But they said, we don't want to go. This was a tearful goodbye. I mean, they've been through a lot together. Man, we buried all of our husbands together. We experienced struggle. We experienced abandonment. We experienced the pain. And they said, no, we want to go where you go. We love you. This is a, a great testament of, of the love between a mother and her daughters-in-law or a daughter-in-law, a daughter and their mother-in-law. This is an amazing picture. But Naomi says this. She said, no, return home, my daughters Why would you come with me? I'm going, she says, am I going to have any more sons? That's a rhetorical question. She says, it's too old. I can't do that. Who could ever become your husband? See, here's the deal. She's saying, if you come with me, you'll have nothing your whole life. We won't be family. If if a husband died, a relative was to marry the widow and to continue on the, the possessions of that family. And they had no family where she was going. She's saying, if you come back to Bethlehem with me, she says, you'll have no family and no one will ever want to marry you. You are Moabite women. You are the enemy of my homeland. You are wives of sons that, that you can't even have their possessions back home. You can't have anything. You, you don't have access to any of that. But Ruth and Orpah had no family in Bethlehem, and they had no one who would love them. All they had was their heritage back in Moab. So that's what happens. Verse 12, she says, return home, my daughters. She says, I'm too old to have another husband. She says, I wish we could be family always together, but it's impossible. Uh, I have a miserable life ahead of me, uh, so you need to go home. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you wait 16 to 20 years? Would you remain unmarried for them? 
You will live a long, lonely, poor life if you come with me, basically is what she's saying. No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She's saying, you know, there's, there's no hope going back, but there's hope for you if you'll return to your family. This is the why God. She says, the Lord's hand turned against me. Maybe you've had a the Lord's hand turned against me moment. Maybe you've had a God why moment. Moments in our life when we decide that God is against us. You know, when we amplify our hopelessness, it's hard for us to see the light of God's goodness in our life. And this is what we're about to see is Naomi is so overwhelmed with, with pain and grief. She's so overwhelmed with hopelessness that she can't see God's goodness in her life. We're going to find that in a moment. So, at this, they wept aloud. Now, I want you to imagine the scene here. They go walking for a little while, and, you know, Naomi comes to her since to say, listen, uh, girls, there's nothing for you back in Bethlehem. You need to go back home. At least there may be you can remarry and live a, a life with family, but there's nothing for me. So they began to hold each other and hug each other, and they began to weep with each other. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And this is one of the, one of the great moments in the scripture. One kissed and one clung. And you have the difference between a kisser and a cleaver. Someone who will cleave to you and someone who will kiss you goodbye. We have, we have this picture where we have someone who, when it gets tough, says, I love you. I understand. And you have one that says this, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to your people and her gods, pagan gods, go back with her. Guys, I just, I just want to put this in. Parents, you can't make your kids serve your God. You can't make your family, you know, force a brother or sister or a mom or dad to know God. It's got to be their decision through the Holy Spirit. And Naomi knew this. She's like, you know what? If you want to go back to your pagan life, to, to serving false gods, go back. If that's what you want. She said, I can't make you serve the God of Israel. I can't make you serve the God of creation. And this is what Ruth says. But Ruth replied, she says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This is a life-changing moment of decision for Ruth. As we're about to find out in this series, it was also a life-changing moment for us all. Because what Ruth is about to do is not only going to change her future, is not only going to change Naomi's future, but it ultimately changes our life as well. We're going to find out in the next coming weeks. Now, this little passage here is often given in wedding vows. If you've ever been to a wedding, have you ever been to a wedding where you've heard this, you know, phrase? How many of you have ever been to a wedding? Okay, just curious. All right. Make sure you guys are still awake. All right. In wedding vows, go where you go, live where you live, your family, my family, your God, my God, where you die, I will be buried. Man, that's a cleaver. That's what a cleaver looks like. That's, what's a, that's what a clinger looks like. This someone who is, this is beautiful. If only more friendships were like this, if only more families were like this, if only more marriages were like this, the kissers or the cleavers. In verse 18, it says, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, 
She stopped urging her. Ruth realized there was more for her with her broken mother-in-law than in her land with her family, that there was more for her with the God of Naomi than with her false gods of her family. See, here's what began to happen. Take a look at this picture. For the next five days, there was a 60-mile journey across the deserts of Moab and uh, southern Judah. And it was filled uh, just two women, two desolate, lonely women, no caravan, no armed guards, no soldiers, no, uh, you know, you know, trucks full of uh, U-Hauls, you know, with, uh, with any kind of possessions, no cars, no animals, nothing. They were completely destitute, two women over desert mountains, alone, risk, dangerous, the heat. Uh, this was a, a life-changing walk. And, the, and the, the Bible jumps from that decision immediately to Bethlehem. There was nothing that happened on those five days on that walk other than sheer determination to not quit and not give up and not give in. This is a, an amazing You know, if you've ever, we went on a mission trip, you know, in August. And when you, when you experience heartache and trial together, you know, you're drawn together, you know. If you, when you've been married for a while, you go through so much together, you're so close together. As the years go by, you're just closer because you experience more things together. Guys, when you're on a, in a desert, climbing mountains for five days, there are probably a few things that can draw two women together. This is what happens in verse 19. So when the two women went on, uh, they went on until they came to Bethlehem, the city of bread. When they had arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? All the women knew who Naomi was. She and her husband, Emelech, had left 10 years ago to seek fortune, to, to see a job opportunity in Moab. And, and here they are coming back. And they're like, is this really Naomi? Is this you? Boy, you, I like what you're doing with your hair, but you smell really bad. Five days in the desert will do that. Is this really you? And this is what Naomi says. Naomi says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara. You know what Mara means? It means bitter. She says, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. She had five days to think about her situation. Five days to think about her pain. Because the Almighty, she says, has made my life very bitter. Now, the words she uses, Almighty, you ever heard of this, the words El Shaddai? El Shaddai, El Shaddai. It's like an old 80s song from Amy Grant. That was a big song in the 80s. You guys ever heard that song? All right. If you're at least my age and have been Christian for more than 15 years, you probably heard that song. That word, El Shaddai, is, is what she says. When she says the Almighty, El Shaddai, the one who is fully and completely in control, I <laughs> like this, has made my life bitter. She's blaming this on God, but she hasn't denied who God is and what his power is. She goes, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Interesting enough, when she left, she thought her life was empty. When she left, she thought her stomach was empty. When she left, she thought something better was across the river in Moab. But what she didn't realize is that she was full all along. Why call me Naomi? She says, the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty El Shaddai has brought misfortune 
upon me. She was feeling this somehow God brought punishment upon her. Now, now this is a, this is a story that's in the Old Testament. So Jewish people follow this story, and there's rabbinic teaching. That means rabbis in the Jewish community feel like she was literally cursed by God because she left the land of promise. Now, I don't think that God cursed her, but that's exactly how she felt. She felt that somehow God was punishing her, and she was struggling to see God's goodness and hope in her life. Some of you are there right now. And some of you have been there before. Where you've been in the middle of so much pain that you just can't see what God is doing despite all that pain, despite all that circumstances, despite that bankruptcy, despite that job loss, despite that diagnosis. You can't see it like Naomi. You still see God is almighty and El Shaddai and someone who can do something, but not someone who's doing something for you. So you have Naomi. And this is where the chapter ends, and then we're going to wrap up what, what I want us to walk away with today. It ends with this verse. It says, Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite. Now, they want to emphasize that Ruth was not Jewish. Ruth was the Moabite. She was the foreigner, her daughter-in-law. Moabite points out the complete cultural tension that's about to take place in this picture. Now we think, oh, someone's from there. You know, if someone were to move to America from France or from, you know, from German Germany, you'd think, you know, oh, no, they're German. No, in this scenario, when it says the Moabite, I meant she was despised by everyone in her entire community. She was the enemy of the enemy. She was someone who was despised, who's family generations before were probably murdered by some of their, by some of her family. So she was not welcome in that community. Bethlehem is a small town. Bethlehem is a small community. And here she is. It's one of those kind of towns where everybody knows everybody's name. It's one of those towns where you go down the street and everybody knows your story. So here comes Naomi, the woman whose family left and lost everything, coming back home with this Moabite woman. But it says this, he says, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. That means it tells us that this was the springtime because the barley harvest begins at the end of spring. Now, I want you to realize this. This is a story about choices. Here's a couple of things. Uh, it's about two places. It's about a land of promise, Bethlehem, Judah, which is also known as the land of provision. Uh, it's the land of blessing. And it's about a land of compromise. Moab, it's a place of a land of paganism, immorality, idolatry. In fact, Moabs were considered some of the more perverted of all the pagan communities because they, their, their worship of their deities thrived on uh, prostitution and orgies. So there's this sense that they're going... There's this land of compromise and this land of promise. It's also a story about two people. A woman with honest wounds who's hurt, confused, and even bitter. And a woman with humble devotion. You have Ruth, this woman who's intentional, who, whose faith is filled with as many questions as answers. But it's faith-filled and loyal. And then you have, uh, this is a story of two places of need. There was a need for food, and so they, they left their place of provision to find it outside of God's plan. It was, a, it was a need for the necessities of life, and it was also a need for 
family. These are two women that had no family, had no possessions, had no children, had no home. They were completely homeless moving in to Bethlehem. And this was also the story of two views of God. You have Naomi, a woman who's struggling to see God, almighty God who has done this to me, and a woman who has blind trust in God. I trust this God of yours who is the El Shaddai. So you have this as a story about decisions that shape our life. Decisions in life, they matter. And some of you guys, uh, you're here today because of a decision you made. Some of you guys, you're, you're in Dallas. You know, I moved here from Indiana when I was in high school. My mom, uh, she was going through divorce. And you know how funny it is when there's a divorce, you always go back to mama, right? Well, my grandma had lived in Dallas. She'd moved to Dallas a few years earlier. And so when my mom uh, needed family because hers had, had uh, fallen apart, she, she moved to Dallas and we got a new start here. I didn't want to move here. I remember loading up that trailer, and I remember waving bye to my friends. I was a junior in high school, and I'm like, I don't want to move to, to the land of cowboy boots, cowboy hats, and pickup trucks. That's not my life. And within the year, I had a pair of cowboy boots. I had a cowboy hat, and I won a pickup truck. I am a Texan. But I tell you what, when I moved here, it, it, it was not something that I wanted you have Emelech, whose who's good business decision was a bad family decision. You have Ruth, whose bad financial decision to leave her family in Moab was a good family decision to move to Bethlehem, to leave her pagan life for the true God and the family of God. Her choice of loyalty to follow Naomi and to follow God is there. And Naomi, you have the choice to go back home. You see, this is a story of the prodigal son. You have a woman whose family had left God's faithful family of provision in Judah and left for a better life someplace else. And you know what happened? After 10 years of pain and struggle, she wised up and said, you know what? I got to suck it up and I need to go home. This is a story of a prodigal. Naomi is that prodigal. Faced with the choices every day. Little, big, uh, little ones and big ones, how do you know? Matthew 6.33, this is how you do it. I'm just going to put this in because uh, this because we're talking about decisions today. Matthew six thirty three says, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things, they'll be added unto you." Some of you guys, you're in a moment of decision right now, and you're not really sure what to do, where to go. You're not even sure if how you got here, if this was a good decision or a bad decision. You don't know. But I, I want to tell you one thing: seek first the kingdom of God. That means seek God's plan for your life and his righteousness. That means his will for how you live your life. You see, you need, you need to seek what God's will for life is and his will for your living life. Those two things, seek his will for you. Ask God, how would you, God, have me to do this? What is your will for this job? What is your will for my family? What does is, what is the word of God say for this? Is this going to help me to know you better and help me to reflect you better? See, those are the two questions. Your kingdom, God, your will, and your righteousness, your reflection in my life. God, help me to know your will, your way for my life. He says and when you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things that you worry about and stress about. Matthew 6 is all, is that entire chapter is all about worry about possessions and money and struggle and jobs and what to do. He ends it with this, seek for the kingdom and all these other things you worry about, God will take care of. So these are the decisions that we make. 
choices. Will you choose to be loyal? Will you choose to be bitter? Will you choose to follow God? Will you choose to trust or will you choose to run to compromise? So why do we end up with dead ends and famines in our life? I want to take in a few things from the story. How do we end up with dead ends and famines? Well, it could be a number of things. Number one, it could be this. It could be a mess we made. You're like, well, I'm in the middle of a famine right now. I'm in the middle of a dead end. I feel like my life is falling apart. I, I, I don't know if this, is, if this is where I'm supposed to be. Well, you know, you end up there for a variety of reasons. The number one is, is it's a mess you made. You brought the consequences of your poor choices upon you. Amalek turned his back on the land of promise and the people of God that was promised to him and chose to follow a land of compromise because the, uh, the grass looked greener on the other side of the Jordan River. And as a result, this wrong decision brought a lot of pain in their life. Now, guys, listen, the wrong direction always equals the wrong destination. If we are to follow our hearts, then it will lead us astray. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? If we follow our heart's desire, we will never end up where God wants us to be. The reason is, is that we cannot say that I want to live my life my way and think that we will end up where God wants us to be in his way. See, we can't, you know, we're always told, just follow your heart. Let your conscience be your guide. Jiminy Cricket had it so wrong. Because your heart is, the Bible says, is wicked and evil. Your heart is your feelings. And it is our heart that leads men to affairs, that leads women down the path of destructive decisions. It is your heart that will lead you into relationships that are destructive or directions that are unhealthy. Guys, don't follow your heart. Ruth is a a response saying, follow the will of God. Because sometimes our dead ends and famines are a result of our poor choices. Here's the second reason. Sometimes our dead ends and famines are a mess someone else made. That means sometimes you're the victim of another person's poor choices. Like Naomi. Naomi did not have a say in moving to Moab. Elimelech, uh, her husband did. And so she was a recipient of her husband's poor choice. Some of you, maybe you are the recipient of someone's poor choice. Maybe you were walked out on, you were abused, uh, you were taken away, or uh, someone got you fired. Uh, You know, I put my trust in that person, and they hurt me, and now here I am in a place of famine, and I feel like I'm in a dead end. Well, you know, sometimes those things come because of a mess that someone else has made. Here's the third reason, is that sometimes it's God setting the stage for a miracle. So you're going to see this all through this amazing little book. It says, you're going to see that God was using this event to bring life change to Naomi and to Ruth. What is about to happen in these next few chapters is far beyond what you can imagine. Now, some of you guys, you want to go home and read it. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Read one chapter a week for the next four weeks, all right? So between now and next Sunday, read chapter 2. Okay, don't read ahead. Let the story unfold together, all right? So read chapter 2, because what you're going to find out is that issue, that trial, that tragedy could actually be God setting the stage for his glory to be known in a way that you never imagined. And here's the fourth reason why we end up in dead ends and famine. It's just life. 
It's just like, remember those bumper stickers that were pretty popular? Uh, a few years, stuff happens. <laughs> you guys remember those? All right. Show of hands. How many of you guys have one of those on your car? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you guys know the word wasn't stuff, right? There's this, uh, remember the bunker, bumper stickers. That is true. Because you guys realize this, whether they moved or not, Amalek was going to die eventually. And sometimes pain comes. Sometimes joy and death are part of this earthly life. And death will always come. Pain will always come. Challenges will always come. And sometimes we're at a dead end or in the middle of famine just because that's life on this earth. John 18, uh, 1633, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. Because he says, in this world, you will have trouble. There's no doubt. You can't avoid trouble, heartache, and pain. You can't uh, run away on an island and expect to not have trouble and pain even there. Because in this life, in this world, you will have trouble. And he says, I'm telling you this so that you can have peace. Because he goes on to say, but take heart. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I love that. So when life happens, Christ is an advocate. Now, here's the good news. There is an end to famine. There's an end to the roadblocks. You can get back home. So three steps to get back home. And then when I pray for you this morning, three steps real quick from the book of Ruth chapter one, how to get back home. Step number one is pursue obedience more than comfort. Guys, the right thing to do was for Naomi to make that long, hard, painful, hot walk home. She had already experienced a lot of heartache and pain and struggle, and the right thing for her to do was to go through more. Guys, listen, sometimes obedience costs us our comfort. Sometimes obeying God is uncomfortable. Sometimes obeying God is unpopular. Sometimes obeying God will bring heartache and pain. Sometimes obeying God will be hard. And the step back home doesn't mean it's going to be roses and, and care bears and unicorns and rainbows and, and little birds coming to feed you food and skittles dropping out of the sky. It means that sometimes the walk home it's hard, and it's painful. Naomi knew going back was where she was supposed to be, and she knew that when she got home, she might even be ridiculed. She knew that going back meant that some people might question her choices. But like Emelech, guys, listen, don't run from the people of God anymore. Come home. See, Emelech ran from the promise and people of God. But Naomi came home even though it was hard. The first step home is you need to realize that you need to pursue obedience over comfort. Number two, second step is this, choose love and loyalty over convenience. Choose love and loyalty. Guys, listen, you need to choose to be a cleaver, not a kisser. When times get hard, don't kiss off. When things get difficult, don't shove off. Don't high five and walk in the opposite direction. Ruth's decision to stay with Naomi was a great step towards her new, healed, whole life. 
We don't know what happened to Orpah. She's never mentioned again in the Bible. They couldn't just call each other. Hey, Orpah, did you get home? Did you find our folks? Did you find our brothers? Did you get married? They never contacted each other again their whole life. We don't know what happened to Orpah. She might have gone back and, and her life might have fallen apart. It might have increased. It might have got better. But she went back to a pagan life, a life away from God. Ruth decided that she was going to choose love and loyalty over convenience and compromise. And she said, where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'll live. Your God will be my God. And where you die, that's where I want to die. And I want to be buried because I'm not going anywhere She chose loyalty and faithfulness. This was a big step back home. Here's the third one is this. Is it, remember, the best new chapters in life begin with honesty and faith. This is what's intense about this story is that Naomi, even though she was bitter and confused and angry, she never, 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 never stopped believing in who God was and his power to do all things. See, El Shaddai means Almighty God, who's able to do all things. And though she was bitter, she never gave up on God. And though she was maybe angry, she never gave up on God. And though she was confused, she never gave up on God. And though it seemed like her life was falling apart, she was honest about her pain with those around her, but she never gave up on God. Naomi was not quiet about her fear, frustration, and questions, but through it all, she still called him El Shaddai, good and faithful one. And then we have Ruth, who was broken, but was honest and fearful, but still filled with faith. As she stepped into a life that had more questions than answers, she had no idea how she was going to be accepted. She had no idea where she was going. She had no idea what life was going to be. She didn't even know if, she was, if there was going to be a place for her. But she chose to be honest with her life with God. She trusted God will provide. She goes, I don't know what's going to happen, but God, I trust And I put my faith in you. See, the writer here gives us a glimpse of something. I want to end with reading that last verse again in chapter 1. It says this, Ruth 1.22 says, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, the writer here gives us a glimpse of what is to come. He ends this act one with a, a... vision of what is to come, the harvest. Guys, listen, the harvest time is called a time of blessing. The harvest time is the season of Passover. It's the season where the sacrificial lamb is laid out and worship, God is worshiped as one who provides. It's a place of freedom. It's a reminder of God's grace. It's a reminder of God's favor. And he's saying, guys, listen, you're in the middle of pain, but harvest time is coming. What we're going to find out in this book is this, is that sorrowful tragedy is often the stage set for a surprise triumph. What you're going to find here is just what we see right here in verse 22. He says, but the harvest is coming. Guys, listen to me, get ready. Because when tragedy strikes, the harvest is coming. When death strikes, get ready for the harvest is coming. When despair sinks in, The harvest is coming. When you get that phone call from your doctor, the harvest is coming. When you feel alone and you feel like God is nowhere there, the harvest is coming. When everything feels foreign to you and you don't know what's happening in front of you, the harvest is ready. When you feel like God is far away, get ready for the harvest 
is coming. Get ready. Be ready for the harvest is coming. Guys, listen, in Bethlehem, Ruth and Naomi found a new start. They found a new life. They found a hope. And guys, listen, in Bethlehem, hope was born for them again. And guess what? In Bethlehem, our hope was born also. For 2,000 years ago, in that very same city, prophecy was fulfilled as Jesus Christ, God with us, was born in the city of David, Bethlehem. And in that very place where they found life is where you can find life too. It's the very place that maybe you're like Imelech, wandering from God into a land of idolatry. It's not too late. And maybe you're like Naomi, facing a, a painful experience, and you feel like God has left you. It's not too late. Come back to Bethlehem. And maybe you're like Ruth, born into a family that's far from God, but now you're ready to follow Jesus. Come to Bethlehem. Will you take the journey to the city of bread to find the bread of life, Jesus? That's chapter one of Ruth. You're going to be amazed with what happens in chapter two. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Lord, for the bread of life. God, thank you that you love us and you care for us and you gave your life for us. And God, though we're like Emelech wandering from you, or maybe we're like Naomi who's confused and hurting, or maybe we're like Ruth, we're ready. We don't know the answers, but we're ready. God, I pray that we would choose to come home to Jesus. If you're here today and you'd be honest with yourself, you say, you know what? That story today really touched my heart. And, and I understand that I've been wandering. I've been running. I've been living in a land of compromise. I've been living in a land that doesn't have God's promise of provision and safety. And, or maybe you're here and you're confused. You're angry. You're in the middle of some painful situation. God is with you. He cares for you. Will you come to Jesus? Some of you, it's time, like Ruth, to leave that pagan life. And follow Jesus. God, I pray in Jesus' name that today would be the day. Let's just take a moment where you are. Will you talk to God right where you are? Just talk to him. Say, Jesus, here's my life. Here's my heart. If you're going through a painful experience, will you talk to him right now? Say, God, I'm going through some pain. God, I'm hurting a lot right now. I'm getting bitter, but I know you're good. Maybe you're like Emelech, and it's time to stop running. It's time to be looking to God's promise, not to other people and places for that promise. Will you say, God, I'm coming home? Will you tell him, God, I'm coming home. I'm coming home to Jesus. Will you just take a moment and say, Jesus, here's my heart. Here's my life. If that's you today, God, your plan, your will, your way, God, I pray in Jesus' mighty name, help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.